Missives from the World of Brass, Chapter 7, The Library of Memory, from the private notes of Lady Madeline Brass. I have a prodigious memory, but it is not photographic. I don't remember every life experience with crystal clarity, and as a woman who has given birth twice, I say that with gratitude. Yet I have rigorously trained and honed my powers of recollection, creating a house of memory where such things are stored. And the greatest achievement in the house is the library. Here are kept the books I have memorized, as well as what correspondence I have deemed invaluable. It was an often tedious task, committing these pages to perfect memorization, yet a task that was eminently useful. For these documents, along with all my other earthly possessions, were blown up by a rogue airship a year and a half ago. Ah, well, memento mori. I visualize it now, the library of my memory, the towering shelves meticulously arranged, the smell of the leather bindings, wood polish, and bound paper. Ah, oh, how it anchors me. And there, beneath the window, stands my dear old writing desk as it once was, battered by travel and decades of domestic accidents. I have been instructed by memory's librarian the answer I seek is here, amidst my private correspondence. I reach toward the drawer in the far upper left, the triple locked drawer, where I kept a collection of letters, 23 to be precise. I remember the lavender color of the ribbon exactly. I unfold the first one. Yes, it was April 21st, 1877, almost 10 years ago. We were new to the townhouse on Clacker Street, and Cyril and Gwendolyn were still children, really. I was recovering from a near-fatal encounter with Molly Darkin and the wet nurses. I felt that I'd lost a step, both physically and mentally. So when I heard it said that the greatest swordswoman in Europe had opened a sal in the West End, I was intrigued. I sent her a brief note to say I'd heard much of her and to ask if she gave private lessons. Her reply made me... Strangely nervous, particularly its familiarity. My dear Lady Bross, let us meet for an interview at my salle on Shaftesbury Avenue. Come prepare to talk and to move. We shall be doing some of both during our interview. Good to her word, we began our interview over tea. Madame Dreyfus was a strikingly attractive woman, a decade my elder, and so charmant as to provide a grand exception to the rule of what I think of the French. After tea, we picked up foils and did two quick passes. She saluted, thanked me, and said she would be in touch, and was two days later. My dear Lady Brass, I enjoyed our conversation very much, and so I agree to take you as a remedial student next month. We will begin with basic drill work and see where that takes us. Since you will be supplying your own gym equipment, there is no additional charge for the salle. Milieu salutation, Madame Dreyfus. Remedial student? What on earth was this woman talking about? 
I had been fencing since first form and had taken medals at several meets at university. I had no need for basic drill work, and my note back to her questioned the necessity of those classes. She replied, My dear Lady Brass, there is a leap of faith that one must occasionally take in life, and setting forth to be a student to one who is a master is one of them. Frankly, I do not know if even six months of remedial classes can fix the faults I see in your technique. The limited sensitivity to your blade, the stiffness of your form, the lack of body awareness. In short, while you have good martial instincts, you fence like an English schoolgirl who wants to impress her teacher. The soul of great fencing is French, ma chère. And unless you can learn to fence like my people, with a blade you shall never be more than, better than average. God, I love a good challenge. So twice a week I attended her salle and did remedial drills, shuffling up and down the strips and around and about the room, holding a dowel in my hand for six months before she let me touch a blade. For the first year she said she would take no questions. But after what she said was my basic training, she let me ask what I would, though more often than not she would delay her reply until later in letters. Ma chère Lady Brass, last week you asked what makes the French such masters of fencing. For while the English stand astride the world, you must admit no one wields a sword like my countrymen. The French excel in fencing and philosophy, as you'd expect from such a quarrelsome people. Did you know Descartes was a swordsman? Oh, quite a good one. Once disarming a rogue who insulted his female companion and forcing the drunkard to apologize, I fence, therefore I am. The Frenchman will tell you the reason he can love well, cook well, and fence well is because of his panache. Ridiculous. He does these things well because of French women. We are worthy of their love and their food and worth fighting for. Nespar? What is more? Half the greatest swordsmen of France have been swordswomen. You may smile, but it is true. Voltaire's lover, the astounding polymath Emily de Bretouille, was also a formidable fencer. And as for La Maupin, surely you know her legend, the men and women she seduced, the daring Cephs, the three men she dueled in one night at a ball at the Palais Royal, defeating all, then calling a surgeon for their wounds before she returned to the dance. Remember, a man may have invented the sword, but it is the woman who finds its most perfect expression. The lessons took hold, and my fencing became très élégante. Yet, the more I studied with Madame Dreyfus, the more she had to teach me, from what seemed an encyclopedic knowledge of martial arts. This note from three years later. The sword is the tool of the intellect, and that means those blessed with extra intelligence like yourself, ma chère, are also cursed to make your fencing trop compliqué. A parable. The master asked two students to each take a stick, and as quickly as they can draw an animal in the dirt. One student begins to draw the form of a horse, while the other draws in one line a curving S, a perfectly serviceable serpent. Yet once he does, 
he glances at his fellow student, still working on what might be a horse, doubting himself. The second student draws two lines from the bottom of the S. The master stops them both and asks him what he was doing. Your first impulse was perfect, he said, and now you are just drawing legs on a snake. Do not question your impulse. Get yourself out of its way. That lesson has stayed with me. And indeed, most of the rest of this correspondence refers to theories of sword fighting and what can be called the martial arts, all of which Madame Dreyfus seems to have some knowledge of and often excelled in. You ask about the legendary Botta Segreta, the attack that cannot be buried. For hundreds of years, many swordmasters have claimed to have such a technique they could teach in special tutorials and for exorbitant fees. The great swordsman, François de Vivant, was given a fatal wound in a duel from the coup de jarnac, taught to his opponent by such a master. It's a left-handed cut at the inside of the knee, severing the hamstring. Oh, quite effective. I could teach you this. But after, I shall teach you the counter, for every bota segreta has an answering parry or counterthrust. The true bota segreta is simply a proper attack, executed in time and within distance. If you have done this, mastering time, space, and geometry, your attack shall be irresistible. And this. Oh, this. When asked of the utility of studying other weapons than the sword. Every weapon, be it knife, club, sword, or spear, has a pattern of attack as distinct as a language. From the cohio of the gaucho to the jade mere of the fierce Maori, each has a manner of attack dictated by both weapon and culture. To truly be a master of any weapon, one must, at least, be familiar with as many as possible, and where possible, fluent. And that, I believe, is what I was looking for. But still, I continue, for now I am pulled into other memories recorded here. As time passed, we became more than student and teacher. We became friends, more than friends, or so I thought. For the closer our intimacy, the more she made me question my choices, and the greater the demands to take my training more seriously. You show great ability, Madeleine, and with proper discipline and focus, you could become a worthy heir to my work. But you let too much distract you, playing at being a detective, your demanding children, your dull husband. Oh. I know you do not find him dull with his laboratory and his endless tinkering, but I do. Your children, oh, Gwendolyn, is far too stubborn to be a good student. And as to Cyril, his natural ability means that he is lackluster with his studies. For them, I have nothing. But for you, if you would free yourself from these obligations, what I could teach you. I began to feel a covetous aspect to her teaching. But she wanted me all to herself, and worse, I, I felt drawn in by her genius and her undeniable charisma. For a truly gifted teacher is a rarity, and I would not be the first student to order and shape my life around one. I must even admit a certain, what can I call it, an amorphous, perhaps, had grown up between us. After our lessons, we would sit in the salle, 
sometimes for hours, drinking wine and sharing life stories. She would tell me her dreams for the Saal, how it could become a mecca for those who sought not just mastery of the sword, but its philosophy and science. In the East, they say, the sword is the soul, and that the way of Zen is also the way of the sword, for both involve killing the ego. You allow all the world entrance into your mind, mon chéri, because you believe knowledge is power. This is only partly true. Focused, applied knowledge towards one goal is power. You must make yourself a sword to truly wield one. She invited me on a tour of the capitals of Europe to study with the few swordsmen she considered her peers. I was considering it. But then came a request that could not be denied. Our family were asked to be ambassadors for the crown, traveling to our far-flung colonies and territories for three years and reporting on the state of the empire. I could not say no. Here is her final note to me. I am disappointed, Madeleine, with your choice. For eight years, we have worked on your training and skill, and you have grown past the intermediate student and into the advanced, one ready for true mastery. And now you toss this away to go adventuring with your family. Very well. I have other issues to call for my attention. Word is that the buildings next to my salle have been sold, and there is pressure on me to sell as well. I do not respond well to pressure nor to charity. So please do not repeat your offer of financial assistance. Since your departure is imminent, you no doubt have little time to say goodbye. So let me do so for you. Au revoir, mon cher, and bon voyage. May neither of us regret your choice. She refused to see me before my departure, and there was much to do before we left. Six months later, the news finally caught up with me. I believe we were in Hong Kong at the time. There it was, in the Times. A fire had destroyed her building, and she was presumed to have died in the inferno. I mourned, in my fashion, and sent out some inquiries to my London contact, but there was nothing more known. Last week, I walked past the old Sal. It has been replaced with a large and very drab office building and realized that, like so much in my life, it now exists only in my memory. I have found what I was looking for. I will tie the letters all back into their bundle with the lavender-colored ribbon. Oh, I was mistaken. The ribbon is pink. The smell of it. That is the lavender. Missives from the World of Brass from the Library of Memory was performed by Kate Cray as Lady Brass and Mary Murphy Bailey as Madame Dreyfus. It was written and directed by John Longenbaugh with original music by Bruce Monroe and edited by Catherine Grant Sutty. To listen to more of the adventures of Brass, find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please do consider posting a review. It is such a pleasure to hear from our listeners. <laughs>